I would rather lose money to the market than the bank because the bank is like, look at all the promises that were made to the bank. Look how nice the banks were. Oh, you guys can't make your mortgage payments? No problem. Oh, yeah, you guys are having trouble over here. We need to dole out billions. No big deal. You know why? They're really good at the long game. And the government was making promises to them for the future, and the future is now. Welcome to the Tom Story Show with Steve Karish and Tom Story, where we discuss everything real estate or whatever else is on our minds. I saw in your comments, Tom, yeah. when we did the live stream with Nolan, somebody said, this Steve guy is too politically correct. <laughs> too politically correct? <laughs> too politically correct. What is your audience, that? Tom? Anyway, let's let's go. We're we're we <laughs> are recording from you, man. <laughs> we are recording. Welcome back to another episode of the Tom Story Show. We have a guest who is long overdue, someone that I look up to in the industry, very much respect, have partnered with on many things, I think over the last five years at least, and staying on trend with this podcast, having someone on that is smarter than both Steve and myself. Taylor Hack, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, I'm good. I'm really glad to see you both. Like, yeah. um, uh, we have known each other for quite a few years. Steve, it's over over the last couple of years that you and I have had more interactions and engagement through the communities that we hang out with. But the big thing is that I always value the people that I come across in Fast Company. Like, the reason that we ended up having affiliation at all was based on the fact that we were recognized as being... Uh, outstanding and the uh, by mentors and that was something that was like really powerful and a lot of my connections are like that where I want to spend time with people that you have to like get through the filter to get access to you know I think people listening and watching to this already like you're in for a treat Um, this is going to be a really fun episode and I can't wait to see and and hear what what Taylor says but first of all Taylor who are you where are you from? What do you do for a living? And what market do you service? I kind of gave it away. Well, the um, uh, those are big questions. I'm going to kind of do this backwards and say, like, the market I'm in is Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Yeah. Uh, what do I do? Uh, I do a lot. Um, real estate is my main hustle. I have a real estate team that I see as being the Navy SEALs among other standing armies, where the average production of teammates is kind of similar to a lot of the average production of team leaders here. Mm -hmm. And aside from that, I also have a marketing company and I'm in technology and I have my own podcast, uh, Leadership Line of Sight. Yeah, you've got a lot going on. I I even, you know, looking at your schedule sometimes or when we used to go back and forth, it like stressed me out just (laughs) hearing like everything that you were doing. So um, let's let's start with the market. Okay, so you are a very high producing team leader um, in Edmonton. Um, Your market has gone through changes like everybody has, but you were in a market that was, you know, not a great market in terms of price appreciation. In fact, prices were going down for a long time until the last two years. And then you flipped the switch and kind of saw what we were seeing. What's going on now? Like what's the overall feeling in Edmonton? I want to give that a little bit of context. So um, for the majority of my real estate career, I've been in a very mundane market. Like uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada is very uh, based on oil. Uh, When I travel throughout the United States, often people are like, where is that? And I'm like, it's kind of like the little Texas of Canada. It's like hardworking farm folk in the oil industry. 
And uh, when oil went down in 2015, it was like, it was a wild change. Like I remember when oil was $140 a barrel, we were moving people out of here just so they could live in desirable locations. Meaning that their oil companies would fly them in from anywhere for work. And so they started to leave Edmonton and go other places. And then all of a sudden in 2015, the fall of oil changed, our government changed here. And it was the start of an experience where um, basically every year houses were losing value. So you would sell somebody a house in 2015 and they would come back to you in 2019 and their property would have lost so much value that if they wanted to sell, they wouldn't have really been out running that even with paying down their mortgage. But we know that real estate's a long game. And all of a sudden through 2020, we saw that I guess it was like the attention that people normally give to travel and entertainment was focused on real estate. Yeah. So in markets like the both of yours, you guys went to like a new level we'd never seen before, right? Like what do they call that? Like star level? Scary level. uh, (laughs) It was worrying. (laughs) And during this period, uh, Tom and I are talking weekly, right? And uh, you're talking about 35 offers for property. We saw that like this little flicker that was a flash in a plan that wouldn't even have got your fire started. Like that heat that you saw that was sustained for months and months and months and months, right? We saw that for like, uh, I think this year um, in March, we had a listing that had over 60 viewings on opening weekend. It had 13 offers and it sold for over 10% more than list price. And that was the one example. We don't have a lot that were anywhere close to that. And for that example, was the list price in your estimation, the value of the property at the moment you listed it and it went 10% over what mo- most people would deem its value or was it playing the game of listing low on purpose? We weren't playing the bounce. Like I've been trying to decode playing the bounce and really you can see it's like a market mechanism for when pricing is outpacing the examples. Right? Like you're letting the market set the price on every single listing you're selling. The market is actually determining what the value was. You couldn't see it from your comparables. And we didn't have that here. So that strategy wasn't common here. And how did agents respond to your market that was the same way for so long turning for the, even if it was just a flicker, it's like it happened so quickly, right? Like, was it very confusing for even the sellers being like, what's going on with my house? Like what changed? And were the buyers coming in from Vancouver and Calgary and Toronto, or was it locals that were part of that demand as well? Uh, we saw both. Like we definitely helped people move during pandemic that were moving locally and also moving from afar. We sold some properties sight unseen to some people that couldn't really navigate the travel in order to get here. Um, but that was something that was exciting because the world turned in our direction. Like we actually have a video dependent experience, meaning that like, uh, in order to deliver our buyer and seller experiences, it needs video. So when the world suddenly went to this situation where people were on zoom, we're like, yeah, awesome way to angle in our direction. So that was something that was really exciting. Uh, we're actually seeing a very uncommon amount of net migration right now. Like Alberta is possibly, well, Alberta is definitely the hottest place right now for people moving. Like we had 16,000 new people, uh, new Albertans just in the first quarter. And that was a record high for seven years for a single quarter. 
And was that interprovincial, moving from other places across Canada? Was it new immigrants? Like, what what were you seeing for the of those sixteen thousand? Who who is that? This episode of the Tom Story Show is brought to you by the best Canadian in-person real estate training seminar that there is. Masters Academy, presented by Richard Robbins International, November 14th and 15th in Northern Toronto. Listeners and viewers of the Tom Story Show podcast can receive $200 off of their ticket to this exclusive event by using the link in the description right now down below this video. These unique session formats include things like small giants, lightning rounds, and even genius interviews with top producing real estate agents from across the country. So if you are a real estate agent anywhere in the country, you need to be at Masters Academy November 14th and 15th in Toronto. I myself will be there. I'm flying in specifically for this event. Both Tom and I will be there in person and so should you. So register today for Masters Academy 2022 happening November 14th and 15th. That's a two-day event, both days from 9 until 5 p.m. at the Universal Event Space in Northern Toronto. Sign up right now using the link down below in the description. Save and now back to the podcast. Of those 16,000, who, who is that? Um, I'm not sure what the actual statistics say, but I can tell you that like boots on the ground, it is uh, the greater Toronto area. It's the greater Vancouver area. It's Ottawa, Niagara Falls, um, like just a, a mixture of markets that are funneling here. And the things that we're hearing is basically the housing is so expensive and we're seeing layoffs that if you lose your job, there's like months to you need till you need to figure it out that's interesting and are are these new people coming in migrating being uh welcomed with open arms or is it kind of like eh, no stay stay from where you came from go back to ontario go back to be or you know bc um stop overvaluing our market like we know it's not yours like it was that the mindset or were your sellers like yeah please please come by my house uh, we understand here that like migration is valuable. Like we remember what it was like when the world was coming to work here. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's something that is, uh, is a little bit welcome because we know it'll make it easier. But I come from like the Wild West. Like the things that I, make me laugh right now is because we're all focused on out of state plates, like looking at all these license plates from across the country and uh, uh, out of state plates, I guess is the way you say it uh, <laughs> elsewhere, but out of province plates. Yeah. And uh, you can see people. I saw a lady on TikTok that was like, do you guys always pass in the right lane? And it was stitched with like this, like a very common Albertan. That was like, yeah, if you're parked in the left lane, left lane, we'll blow your doors off on the right side. <laughs> and that's that's like part of being here. Like when people want to know like what freedom looks like, it looks like this. Uh, during like you guys were talking about on terrible during lockdown, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We won't get too much into that side of things, but. Yeah, it it's was been uh, called on terrible for a long time. You know what? I've Not never heard that. <laughs> Why has no one told me that? I've never heard I that. I don't know. What what's the one I heard? No? The dirty schwa when Melanie was on. Like I'd never heard that one before, but I've heard on terrible a lot. Oh, come on. <laughs> um Taylor, one thing you mentioned at the beginning, I want to ask Steve this. Would you, would either of you buy a house sight unseen? Would you buy a house without physically being in it? Do I get a home inspection? Yeah. Yeah, you get a home inspection. I might do it. Yeah, Steve, I might would do you it. do it? No chance. 
You know what? Who, you know what I think was way more crazier than that? Yeah. People buying houses they have seen without home inspections. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually that's actually a really good point. Yeah, because at least yep. yeah. I totally buy the place I couldn't see without a home inspection, but not the other way around. Did did even so like early lockdown we sold a few properties sight unseen because it was like the only option, but I think people were in that mindset. Do you think those days are over now, or there's still people that your team's helping virtually buy properties without setting foot in them? Um, I actually think that we're seeing a future trend there. Mm. So um, like imagine in the next five years that every family will have a virtual reality device in their home. Okay. I think the way it's going to change real estate is where some realtors are showing a large amount of houses, right? Like let's say 20 or 30 houses. And you'll be able to try on more than that in the comfort of your own home, but then only go and see three. The reason I say three is because I think three is how, where perfect comes from. The one you want and enough other one, enough other examples to show you why that one was the one. Huh. Yeah, I don't think anybody will ever get to, well, ever. That's probably not the right thing to say, but I, I don't see us going virtual and buying online. And that's where I think a lot of the companies are kind of screwing up because as of yet, there's no smell-o-vision. Right. Like we don't get the touch and feel and so many people still want that. Right. I think we sold one home technically virtually during the pandemic and those people were coming back. They already knew the neighborhood. And then, yeah, that was back when you could get in, uh, uh, inspection and they actually flew in for the inspection before they removed conditions. Right. That's as close as we got to it. It wasn't this big move towards, yeah, I'm just going to buy something I see online. I think you would have to be a very, savvy real estate person to do that with confidence. Yeah, I see some other examples. Like, uh, that's why I think that you'll go and see three, right? I, I don't think that it'll be 100% online because there is something about that feeling in the space. Um, but imagine that it's going to be a hybrid. Because we did see a lot of people buy properties. Like, if you look at large numbers, there's a lot of people that own properties they've never been in. Like, uh, you can see people that own portfolios of apartment buildings and they don't even know what they own. They like, they buy them 150 as a group, right? Like I know some realtors that specialize in packaging, stuff like that. And what they're buying is like an aggregation of leases and things and the, essentially the return on investment, but they're always planning on having them managed. So I think that we see a little bit about that. And when it comes down to smell of vision specifically, I wonder how much of the smell of a house leaves with the contents. You know, like the when you tour through houses that are occupied, I wonder if you could measure uh, this smell, and depending on whether or not the house has a lot of carpet or not, how much of it stays behind when the items are gone. You should see some of my listings, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> it's like weird. It's, no, like, it's, it, there, Steve. it smelled good before, but what's the difference now? Well, Steve's here as well. Oh, Steve's <laughs> listing it. It stinks now. <laughs> No, I, I, there is something there where actually I have this conversation uh, often with a friend of mine who's actually going to be a future guest uh, who's in a different realm of real estate than we are. He's in tech real estate. Mm -hmm. And he, his whole vision is like there's only a matter of time before who knows what it could be. Maybe it's a as a real estate agent, you go to the property with a suitcase full of 20 drones and they go do their thing. Right. And they give you such an experience. And maybe there is a uh, 
smell meter or what like maybe that's built into the software at some point where the people can feel mostly confident and then like what you say you know yeah we're 99.9 percent. this is the one let's go see it in person and make sure I um I wander down this rabbit hole a lot because I'm involved with a tech company that does augmented and virtual reality. And when I was originally taking a look at the utility of what it would be for digital real estate and how that would work, part of it is what you're describing, which is like when we think about the metaverse, what are we going to put inside of it? I think that the first thing we're going to put inside of it is here. We are going to render our current reality. Because if you were able to do that, then you would be able to augment. You'd be able to like slide the slider between virtual reality and uh, real or life reality. But in the middle, you would have like help. Like you'd be able to pull your calendar up out of like thin air. And uh, the road would just be purple everywhere you were supposed to go as opposed to looking at your phone as a window into navigation. Hmm. So it's very likely that we'll digitize here. And then I was trying to follow that down further. And what I could see is like the biggest problem, like almost every generation kind of screws the future. The last generation did it with mortgages. So the modern mortgage massively improved the amount of buyers in the marketplace by increasing access through essentially like changing the bank act to allow for loans that would have been illegal previous like 25 and 35 year loans. That was like the longest loans you can normally get is like seven. So then when you do that, you get a huge amount of value that goes into real estate, which is what we know now. But unless you do something like that again, it's just a single event. Now that that's happened and the world is normalized towards it, what's next? Well, it seems that there's a lot of people around the world that would like to put money in Canadian real estate. So how do we find a facility for them to do that? Well, if you NF, if you took the digital replication of a house and NFT'd it, couldn't you have digital ownership as well as real ownership? And could you combine them? Because I think that if we're taking a look at the next generation, when are they going to be able to afford a million dollar house? But what if they could have a million dollar house experience for $510,000 or the equivalent of 51%? And someone maybe in China could own the other 49% and they could have a lease agreement together that basically protects both their interests. Crazy. That's where I think that digital real estate is going to go. So it's not going to be its own thing. You're not just going to own that NFT Sims house online. You're going to own the real one or a portion of the real one and have access to the digital version as well for whatever that could lead us into the future, right? I think both. I think that there will be some things that are valued on the fact that they're only they only exist in uh, virtual reality. There's going to be some things that are valuable because they only exist in real life reality, and there's going to be the spectrum in between. Steve, are you are your eyes glossing over like I am? I'm trying to like yeah, you, think you about have to how listen this... to Taylor uh, twice to understand a quarter of what he's saying. Um, here's my thing: when I hear NFT, there's a lot of people that are trying to look at how something like, I think NFTs are the QR code of now, right? Like they they don't have really a function yet, right? When QR codes came out 10 years ago, everybody was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And everybody's like, yeah, that died quickly because we didn't know how to use them until we had a need for them, which has come around in the last couple of years. NFT, I think is the same thing. I think there's a bunch of people trying to figure out how it's going to work. Personally, I think NFTs are fabulous for real estate. 
but they're not going to do things like people think, which is remove real estate agents. They are going, they mm. could replace land title, mm. right? Like you could at some point go, okay, this is my receipt and proof that I own this property, but it's not the ease of the transaction of exchanging the NFT that means you own the property, right? Like it's, it's not going to replace the agent necessarily, as I say, we're irreplaceable uh, from a three-way bias conversation here. But it is it is going to be proof of ownership. That's all it is, right? Proof of ownership. So that's why I think buying pictures of sleepy apes uh, and thinking that that's the value is not the value, right? Like, I don't know how they're going to tie in. They will tie in. I think NFTs are going to tie into our entire life at some point, probably within the next 10 years. But I don't know how they're going to affect the real estate market yet. Yeah, it's kind of weird to predict. Like, um, remember when uh, they came out with Segways? Steve Jobs funded, uh, like, he was he owned a massive amount of that company. Hmm. And they thought it was going to basically replace walking, right? They are like, this is going to do everything. And it turns out that Segway was just a concept car for this, like, uh, the future, which we use that technology, those, um, uh, the way it has, like, a device inside that allows you to achieve balance yeah. that is being used everywhere now. Like when you take mm-hmm. a look at almost every electronic uh, device and when you take a look at the motor technology that they got out of that and electric cars, there's just so much that they were able to do, but they were so before their time. And the same thing, we like came up with this technology that does have a purpose like NFT does, but now we're just like trying to like monkey it around and we're like, is this art? Oh, is this a key to something? Is this ownership? Is this a house? And we're just kind of like figuring it out. One of the uh, the original ones, I did a YouTube video on this like a year ago. It was a Toronto artist that built, it was called like the Mars house. And it sold for the equivalent of $500,000 American in um, Ethereum, right? Don't know what it's worth today based on when they bought it then. But it, it was basically a virtual artist rendering of a house and you got, but then what you also got with it was the actual plans where if you wanted to go build this house somewhere, you could do that as well. And most of the comments were like, this is stupid, but I think it's, it's not so like, here's, here's where my mind goes with, with NFTs and, and owning a portion of a digital ownership in the future. Let's say like, so Taylor, who's your favorite, uh, let's say Max Verstappen. Okay. His, <laughs> yeah, we're going to go there. Max Verstappen owns a house. Okay. He lives there with his uh with his girlfriend and maybe future kids or whatever but then there's a digital version of his house and you have the opportunity to own five percent of the digital version of his house which in the and again i'm going into the future here in the online meta world in the future it's in the physical place and you get to tell people you own 10 percent because you're proud of that is that something you would do and is that where we're going with this uh not something i would do Um, I don't, uh, that's not really like how I experience. There's some people that probably would, that's how they experience fandom, uh, for things or like a memorabilia that would kind of be in that same type of classification. Uh, but I think that a lot of the people that are working on this stuff are saying, how do we make that an, a continual ownership and a continual value of this house? Or what if it's like, if you own a piece of the digital house, that means that you get a ticket to one F1 race every year. You get to do a meet and greet with Max. Like you, you see where we can go with this, right? Where it's currency into things that you are passionate about. 
Yeah. And when it comes down to like the things I'm actually passionate about, it would be like, where do these NFTs con contribute to the experience in real estate? Mm. So like when you take a look at what our team actually does in real estate, we save people from three-star experiences, which are the most readily available experience in real estate. We help people understand that what they're buying. A lot of people come to us and say that, hey, I want to buy a house like this. This is something I saw online. Mm. And then by the time we unpack that, that's not the house they want. In fact, not even the neighborhood they want to be in. And what we end up doing is getting to know them well, because relationships are the bridges that information travels on. And then we're able to get to guide those conversations to where they'll be productive to solve the problems that that family's dealing with, which often is some drive time issues. They're disjointed. They've they've outgrown their maybe their location or as through COVID, their location value changed. Hmm. They used to have to get to work and live near downtown. And then that wasn't a factor anymore, but they were paying a huge premium for it. So helping them understand those types of things so that they can acclimate to the market and choose the best option that's available for them is actually the job. And so the so I think that that's exactly what Steve said. That's like why it would be incredibly difficult to disrupt great agents. You can disrupt the you're going to disrupt the hell out of the other ones. Right? Like the uh like a lot of people don't know this, but there's there's only 13% of agents that make it past 5 years in. Hmm. And I'm going to argue that the majority of experience is with somebody I refer to as a tourist, which is somebody who's not good enough to get to stay here. And so like when you take a look at how many examples that buyers and sellers have of working with people that are not credible, and then you say, how does that happen? Well, a realtor is the employee of your family. You guys didn't even interview Yeah. I don't know that that's real estate sprawled. It's an interesting way. So in terms of right now, if you're a buyer or seller in North America and you're thinking of hiring someone to help you throughout your real estate you know, needs, what's a, what are the qualifying questions right now that's coming up the most for you and your team? Like wh why would you hire one person other than the obvious things, which we all say is, well, you have to trust them. You have to like them. They, they have to understand what's going on with the market. But is there anything that's not so obvious that the consumer should know before they're hiring someone to help them with? And we always say this, and I think this gets overused, but like your biggest financial transaction, like what don't the consumer know? So I don't think that the consumers know what the stakes are. So let's say that you're in a market where the average list to sale percentage is 97%. That means that when the houses sell, the average discount is 3% from the list price at the time they sell. Okay. That's really the margin that you're trying to control. So the market's going to actually dictate the price of your house. And what you do with your agent as a team to try to achieve the most common goals for sellers, which is the highest amount of money in a reasonable amount of time, is what everybody's trying. Like in my market, the average days on market is approaching two months. So that's what the average team looks like. They take about two months to solve the market. And then when they do, they come into a negotiation, but buyers are afraid of two primary things. They're afraid of missing the one and paying too much. And if you're already two months on market, are they really afraid of missing the one? No, because you've been The only thing there. they're afraid of is paying too much, right? Do you know what I, so this happened to me literally yesterday and I think so much of this is in people's heads, right? 
I had a property that had been on the market for 27 days and we took it off because it just timing and life situation with the seller and the next move and few things took it off took it off yesterday morning two people call me two hours later and then i get a full price offer uh three hours after that and it had been sitting for 27 days what but people were only interested once it was taken away from them so is a lot of this just buyers mm -hmm. and going through the craziness like p human beings want what they can't have like is that not just life I think that that is a lot of what plays here, right? Like on some level, you can look at the entire stock market and say it's technically just a measurement of how rich people feel. But when you take a look at buyers and sellers approaching each other in the marketplace, a lot of that is like uh, also based on feelings. You're talking about what I would call a statistical outlier, like why you're telling it to us because like, you know, on the screen right now represents like, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in real estate sold and thousands of transactions. Yep. So, so you're mentioning that as though, because it's a real outlier. That's surprising to both of us that a property that has been around for that long gets an initial offer that's full price. Yeah. But when we take a look at the majority of experience, when you're at average days on market, you're going to get that offer. And the most common negotiation technique is asking for twice as much as what you want and then fighting for the middle. So well, let's say that in a market that shows a 3% gap, the most common offer is going to be 6% below your list price fighting for that 3% in. Now, if you're working with a great agent, they're probably going to be able to give you information that changes your mind. Because the likelihood that you could actually decide how or read what the market would pay for your property from the outside, we're not talking about access to information. We're talking about insight. The ability to take large information and see how it how it applies to this specific situation. So when we are talking to clients about bringing their property to the market, we understand that accuracy is what makes them money. If they are at market value on day one and they are market value on day 60, the outcome is different in almost every circumstance. The people that are on the market on day 60 get an actual lower amount in their pocket than the people that sold at the same list price on day one. Right. So that's like, so that's the stakes. So if you're in a market where it's a million dollars, you're talking about $30,000. If you're in a market where it's $500,000 for the average price, you're talking about half that amount. $15,000 is what the outcome could be. And why is it so that you think if you most... wanted to, sorry, sorry, go on. Go, go ahead. On. No, I was just gonna say, why so... is it that consumers don't know this? Is are they, are we not asking the right questions or the realtor is not giving them the correct information? Um, I think it comes from questions like uh, I think a lot of people say, OK, I found a realtor. Now I hope they're a good one. Hmm. Right. And we're going to find out. But I don't really understand how this works or they can't see the value in us at all because they can't see how it works. So that's why I wanted to say let's talk about stakes first, because if you knew that this was a thirty thousand dollar impact to you, I hope you would take it more seriously. And then the second thing is on screen right now are three agents. Anytime there's three, you get a high, a low, and an average between them. So when you talk to uh, three agents, when you interview three, you're immediately going to rule yourself out from the low offer, the the worst outcome, because there's no way after interviewing three that you're likely going to choose the one that's the worst, or it's it's much reduced. And then after that, you're looking for somebody who fits you and has great communication, and then you also have to make sure they're credible. And if you don't know how often the average realtor sells a house, you need to know that. 
and you need to know how often this person in front of you sells houses to understand whether or not they're just talking a good game or they actually do this. We also live in a day and age where there's reviews. So if you were going to hire somebody that you were going to pay thousands of dollars ago, uh, to because they're going to protect this outcome that is tens of thousands of dollars to you, do you think that it should just be somebody you meet at a barbecue or maybe you should spend Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday evening choosing the best of the best? This is where I think people get it wrong. And this is actually a question I had for Richard Robbins when we did the podcast with him. Like we know the best result and outcome and, and how it all works. And Rich's philosophy is always make sure you qualify the person and pick the person who is able to show you the results that they've got. But there is an emotion through, you know, in, in homeowners where they, I think they have a real difficulty picking out the difference between results and promises. Mm. Right. And that is, that is always the spot where people get hung up because they, oh, this guy's going to do it for a little bit cheaper. And he promises, you know, all of this stuff. And then you go, well, here's the guy that, and he's not the cheapest and he's done all this stuff in the past, but what do I really care? This is what this guy's going to do for me. And I think that's the loop that people get caught up in their own head and they end up picking the guy that over promises and under delivers. Do you know what the tough mm -hmm. thing is though? So, you know, I, I, we've all had experiences where we meet with a seller and we tell them the value of their property and they choose somebody else and that sits on the market and then ends up selling for what we told them anyways, right? It's like we could have just saved them two months of headaches and stress of selling their property. But if, if they chose us and we sold it in two days for the price that we knew it was worth or maybe slightly higher, they would think like, well, what if I had asked for more? So it's yeah. very hard to, to, to say like exactly, like we can show examples and case studies after the fact, but in the moment, if I'm a seller and I'm being told something and the gap is $50,000 and what we would call the industry, like you're buying that person's listing, right? You're getting it to then ask for a price reduction in two weeks and it's not the best way to do business and you're wasting everybody's time. But the unfortunate thing is, is that kind of works. Like I, I see it a lot. There is a, uh, yeah. a lady in my uh, market who's an old timey realtor, fantastic realtor, by the way, she does great work, mostly retired now, but her line was always the, the best. And it's not the way I do business, but I really appreciate it. And her line was always, you can't get the price reduction if you don't have the listing. <laughs> right? so she, would, she would take every listing at whatever you want. And she would be like, yep. yeah, cool. Sounds good. And then she would spend every single Monday or Tuesday after the weekend with no offers, just hammering out like, nope, we got to bring the price down. We got to bring the price down. I mean, I've lost listings to her. This episode of the Tom Story Show is brought to you by the YouTube for Real Estate video course. Are you interested in creating an engaging, value-driven YouTube channel to help educate your client base on real estate in your market, as well as introduce a new revenue stream to your business? Perhaps you've already created a YouTube channel, but are struggling to gain viewership and the subscribers you are looking for. The YouTube for Real Estate course will provide you with proven tips and strategies on how to create and cultivate an engaging 
YouTube channel, as well as how to optimize your channel, resulting in higher viewership, subscribers, and yes, deals. But that's not it. I implemented YouTube in my business in early 2021, and it has easily been the best marketing source for meeting new clients that I have ever had in my business, period. Better than expensive geofarming, internet marketing, and open houses combined. And now it even rivals my repeat and referral business. If you would like to learn all the tips and tricks for meeting new clients using YouTube, simply go to video course login or click the link in the description below and sign up for the YouTube for real estate course today and learn a year's worth of my painstaking research of learning how to use YouTube for real estate in just a few hours by taking the YouTube for real estate course. So go to videocourselogin.com right now and use the promo code TOMSHOW at checkout. Again, that's videocourselogin.com or simply use the link below. Interesting. Man, I remember the first time I met somebody who operated like that at like a scale. It was wild. I was in um, uh, Arizona for this like prestigious real estate event where there's like top 200 agents in the world kind of thing and uh, uh, or 200 of the top 1% in the world is actually more accurate. And anyway, I sit next to this lady and she is from uh, New York and other people have like laptops and they're taking notes and this lady's doing cross stitch, right? And I, I start chatting with her and then she's like uh, talking to me about like what she does and she's like, yeah, I mostly like uh, manage listings. And I was like, oh, really? She says, yeah, right now I have 165 listings. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and then she reaches into her bag and she pulls out a ringing phone and she gets on the phone. And I swear it didn't, it wasn't you. I don't even know what the other person said. It was so short before she started speaking. And then she was like, listen, Maury, if you don't listen to me, we're going to take the sign off the lawn. And that was like how this lady was talking to her clients. And I was just like, okay, I don't know what's going on now. The, uh, like, this is totally bizarre. She has more listings than my yearly production. I wonder how and many of them sold people on the phone. I don't know, but uh, enough to be in the top uh, percent in the world. So, so maybe it's just I'm a gonna... numbers game, right? A percentage wise is still selling. So yeah, but what do we, what does that do for a client experience? Not great. Right? Like where where you're saying like, hey, whatever number you pick out of a hat is fine. And I'm just going to call you every week and grind you. Like what if their blueprint for success, like I believe every seller has an algorithm. And this is it. What sellers need when they come to real estate is that they want to know if they sell what they have, will it give them enough options to buy what they want and whatever the hell that is. Right? So what we normally do is go there and some people are going to tell us how much they want for their house. And it's just like they're asking me to form, solve the formula in a different direction. Oh, you're like, this is what I need. Can I get that? Gotcha. Yes or no. Right. But when you get into this situation where people are just uh, kind of like uh, they're like deceiving you to get you in. Right. That's where I have like a real problem. Like if they shouldn't list their house, they shouldn't list their house. If the market doesn't support what they need to do, what they want to do next, my service is to tell them that. Yeah, I, I would agree. You, like, yeah. Do you think Edmonton agents have an advantage right now because their market has sucked for so long? Yeah, like not not Edmonton agents, Edmontonians. Okay. So uh, right now, there is so many people moving here that it is going to offset the interest rate rise. 
So this is so affordable. Like you can come here and get a job. Like everybody can get a job. There are so many unfilled jobs here. They can all just come here and work. And the wages that they can make here are not that far off from these major centers. But the However, prices are the lower. Affordability? Holy crap, man! You should see what you could get for like seven hundred thousand here. Taylor, like you want to know what my uh, like, gas was today this morning when I filled up? You're uh, gonna actually. What I noticed, actually, I just drove through Edmonton. Sorry, I didn't call you. Um, but I noticed <laughs> the Edmonton and Toronto gas prices are super close together. This mm-hmm. morning on my way to work, um, and thank goodness the gas prices have come off, I think, 35 cents a liter. It was 205. This morning? Yeah. This morning coming in, it was 205.9. And mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Like I was, uh, when I was in Toronto with Tom, I was like, Tom, your gas price is really 145. And I think when I was in Edmonton, they were 139. Right. So like mm-hmm. you, there is an affordability outside of real estate that is a real factor in my marketplace. Well, take a look at where your income goes. So like when we take our income in, part of it goes to tax, right? And there's two types of tax. There's income tax and then there's consumption tax. We have less income tax than both of you. Okay. So we get more money into our pocket to begin with. And then the next thing that happens is we don't have PST, HSC, luxury tax. We don't have like title transfer, like all of that stuff. Look how much money that is. It's crazy. And we don't we don't have any of that, right? So when you go and buy anything here, it's 5% GST and then we're done. So you so should be so much more expensive. You should be more so much <clears throat> more expensive because you've got this craziness but, of like this affordability where you should just be able to be like, I can have whatever I want. I've got the biggest, most expensive house ever. We should be now, but you couldn't get jobs here until we were going into 2020 and oil rose. Hmm. Right? But now the jobs that they're building, like uh, tomorrow I have um, – uh, Laura Kilcrease on my podcast, and she is the head of Alberta Innovation. I have never seen a government hire like this. It it would literally be like your intramural uh, hockey team got like Connor McDavid. She is somebody who's been in tech for 30 years and is pretty much behind what's taken place in Austin, Texas. And now she's in Alberta and the tech jobs that she's building in Calgary right now and Edmonton are like, that's what's going to be the game changer. And it's going to be funded by this oil boom. So those people that are having trouble finding jobs in other places, man, they can come here and they can get to work. And with the ability to do remote work, we're also seeing people move here to still work in your markets. Taylor, you and guys so obviously. There's some estimates that are wild. There's some estimates that say that in the next 10 years, we're going to be five times as large as we are right now, and we're at 1.1 million. But how long is this oil boom going to last? It's definitely going to curve off, yeah. right? But all the oil companies already thought it was going to be curving off by now. Like, uh, um, I, I do some, like the tech company that I work with, uh, does augmented reality, um, and modeling for surgery and aerospace and mining. So when we're taking a look at how oil is made and what the numbers were looking like, there was a bunch of oil companies that were kind of holding off during pandemic saying like oil is really high, but this is temporary. If we make projects right now, it's going to take two years. But like in the next 30 days here, I think are the midterm elections in the United States. And they're talking about the red wave there. If they get a conservative house, there's going to be a lot of discussion around pipelines here. 
And uh, when you take a look at like, it used to be that you could come here and as a licensed electrician, make $250,000 a year and buy a house where the average price is half a mil. Could you imagine that? Like that's, that's twice your average, that's twice your income to the average house. Like, yeah. And your tax on that, on that 250, you're a lot more is in your pocket than if you're living in Ontario or BC, right? Very tiny government here. Doesn't take much to fund them. Let me give you my experience because it's, um, I mean, I have no experience in the Edmonton market, but uh, this is my anecdotal situation. Um, I had a friend that I went to high school with, best friends, really good dude, ended up in, I don't know, somewhere outside of Edmonton. And he phoned me because he had his property for sale. Right. And he wanted my advice because we're old buddies. I'm like, well, I can't give you my advice because I'm not a licensee. Um, my first question for him was actually, why aren't you listed with Hack and Co? But he didn't, uh, I don't know why he didn't choose you. Um, maybe you're not in servicing his area, but here's, here's where we're at. So he worked for the railroads and I'm assuming he's $150,000 a year or more, assuming, mm-hmm. right? And his house, I think he bought it for 380, let's call it six, seven, eight years ago. And he added up for three, or he added up for three ninety nine, and he had an offer at three ninety five, and he's mm-hmm. like, "I'm not going to take it." <laughs> right? He's like, "This is um, it's it's worth at least you know three ninety eight." And I'm like, "Are you talking about three thousand dollars a year?" But that <laughs> is the kind of market that you guys appear to be in, where it's like, nope, people just dig into their price, and so they're okay to sit on the market for like hundred and eighty days. Uh, that's because it's been such a significant buyer's market over such a long time. So like uh, most people haven't experienced markets like we've had here where property actually drops. And like over the period that he had that property, I bet you for like the first four or five years, it dropped every year. And it was only in the last couple of years that people made back in months what they lost in years. So because it's been so hard here and on like when you take a look at all the properties on the market, there was only like one buyer for every two sellers. So that fight to the bottom was very resistant and people were like uh, kind of sticking, like not not moving with the market as much uh, unless they really needed to go. So if you were to buy and, and not knowing what we know now, right? So let's say you bought a property five years ago uh, in Edmonton and it's worth the same as it was the day you bought it today and it had gone lower, right? So most people recently buying in Edmonton aren't buying for the fact that they think their home's going up five to 10% in value every year. Cause that's just not the reality. Right? So if they're looking at it and let's say you're, cause if, if I, there's some people in Toronto that if I said to them, you buy a house and in five years, we'll sell it for what you bought it for. They'd be like, well, why the heck am I buying a house? Because mm-hmm. we've become accustomed to like, Oh no, houses go up in value in Toronto. Like I buy a house for, for future growth and appreciation and wealth building. They forget that it's like a roof over our heads, right? So mm-hmm. for, for people in Edmonton that are going between, and, and I know the answer to this, but I want you to break it down for me. So why am I buying versus renting other than the, the principal pay down is, is the main thing, right? But for most people, is it just cheaper to buy than to rent the same property? Like what's that delta? Uh, it's actually like, a, I'm going to talk about rents here in a second, but when you take a look at the opportunity to buy versus rent, you get so much more control as a purchaser, even when you're t- when you take out the uh, idea of appreciation, right? 
So uh, in in order to say like is something good, you have to put it against anything else. So you're comparing buying versus renting. So uh, if I purchase, I might lose. You know, maybe uh, during that 2015 to 2019, I might have lost like 20 or 30 percent of the money I put in, right? But if I rented, I would have lost 100 percent of the money I put in. Yeah. So that's part of it. And then the second thing is, is that when I'm renting, I'm in the control of my landlord. So meaning that uh, um, if they choose to sell, I'm displaced, which is a huge problem for families. Like how do you stay in the same school zone? Different things like that can really affect you. And then the second thing is, is a lot of people achieve uh, like other goals because through home ownership, like part of uh, making a space that they can recover in when they come off of work and so on, they can really customize that. They have a lot more options uh, when they experience home ownership as opposed to renting. And then you also have to consider like the real long game. Like, as I said, people made back in months what they lost in years and all the people that chose not to do that just missed out. Yeah, that's interesting. One of the things that you had put out on social and I shared it because I thought it was really interesting and you come from a mortgage background, which I want to get in with you actually and get your opinion on what's going on with mortgage rates right now. But um, you had basically prefaced this and said, like, with the rates going up, would you rather lose money to the market versus the bank? Can you just explain mm. that thought process to me? Because I thought that was very interesting. Please explain this because that makes no friggin' sense to my brain at all. That's okay. So the uh, and and I, I'm open to debate, right? Like the yeah. what what I was saying is is that a lot of people think that when interest rates go up, housing goes down, right? So if I buy and my interest rates are moving up and housing goes down, I lose my money. But I'm in the market. And since I lose money to the market by being in the market, that means when the market recovers, it pays me back. That's if I buy now and lock in. Right. Okay. The house might be worth less or so on. And then the, uh, and then if the property rises, the market pays me back. Now, if I wait till housing goes down and I get in at this higher interest rate, I experience the lift in housing, but will it ever overcome the, the height in interest rates? Like we're at 3.25 for a prime rate now. And we were at 0.25 in January. That ship is sailed. When you do the long math on that stuff, houses are not changing this amount. Right. So I would rather lose money to the market than the bank because the bank is like, look at all the promises that were made to the bank. Look how nice the banks were during COVID. Oh, you guys can't make your mortgage payments? No problem. Oh, yeah, you guys are having trouble over here. We need to dole out billions. No big deal. You know why? They're really good at the long game. And the government was making promises to them for the future and the future is now. Because the bank's not going to pay you back, but the market may pay you back. Correct. That's that's, that's basically right. the, the thought process here. Steve, thoughts, questions, concerns. Do we want to debate this? No, I just needed it explained because I'm a <laughs> moron. Like I was trying to figure. Can I just say, Steve? I was... Can I just say, stop saying that on the podcast. You're not. A mor- I know, like you're <laughs> no, playing I... into the self deprecation, but you're not. <laughs> but when it was said, I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? Like I don't even understand the concept. When you're like lose market to the, it's it's the same thing. I'm losing it to the bank. But I mean, uh, so so that is how uh, has been my argument taylor which is when the market has been going down my personal thought is that most people don't uh they're probably not it's going to sound bad to say but 
they're probably not intelligent enough to really worry about the factors of interest rates. They're just Ed educated about, enough. Educated yeah, enough. The, yeah. Uh, sure. Tom, you're so nice. I'm I'm too politically correct. <laughs> apparently. Um, but they're they're just not worried about that. They're worried about the monthly payment and what it means to their family, right? And so my thought is lowest mm -hmm. monthly payment is likely the best move for most people, even if you're paying a higher price. But everybody always focuses on, well, you know, prices are going down and they only look at your transaction through a financial mean. And I just, I don't think that's where most people should look at it because they don't think in that manner. They really don't. Most people don't think about their mortgage other than the day they sign the paper and then every second Friday when they make the payment, right? That's when they think about it. Mm -hmm. And we're all sitting here going, okay, well, what is the best financial? I'm going to look at how much my overall carrying cost over or the property of 30. Nobody does that. Nobody does that, nor should they, because they should be worried about, you know, is my kid on drugs or whatever the hell I'm really worried about every single day, right? Like that's what they should be worried about. And so my thought is like, you know what, if you get into the best, um, mortgage you can do with the lowest payment that is going to put you in a position where you can be successful in the rest of your life every single day, that's probably the best move. So I'm thinking that uh, I appreciate the way you said that. I'm just going to try and repeat it to my clients because I still don't understand. <laughs> see, I see Steve the same way that Tom sees Steve. Steve is deep water. He thinks way faster than he talks. And he he's already like a couple like moves in. This but, is uh, no, this, Taylor. This is the connection between my brain and my mouth is like disconnected, right? So I'm very slow talker. You are correct. Yeah, but like the you you can see all the action that you're going a few questions deep, which is awesome. Um, a lot of people express concern about what the market's doing, but like look at look at what they're actually communicating. So how many people walk up to realtors and are like, so how's the market, right? I can answer that question until you bleed out of your eyes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, the, like nobody wants to know. They are using that to open a conversation that where I now as an experienced agent know that they want to know a little bit about how the market might treat them. Right. And so the answer is, it depends. What are you trying to do? Mm. And then yeah. we start to talk about their experience. And in the end, what they want to do is basically say, hey, can I do this in a way that is acceptable to me? And this is way more important than what interest rates are and what the price of real estate is, is your actual enjoyment of a property and the security surrounding around that. Like there is a definitely a financial and a family business part of real estate, but you have more Wednesdays then you have moments where you will ever consider that. Like you're just going to have like Wednesday in your house. Do you love your kitchen? Did this work out really well? Are you in a place where you feel safe? Did you have to drive six hours to get everything done you needed to get done today? All of that is way more impact. So even when people ask like, should I wait or should I buy? The question is very internally. Like, what are you trying to do? Yeah. I quite often will, you know, when people ask that is like, well, what's your measure for success? And I'll tell you if it's a good time or not. Right. Like I have to know what you think is a good time first. Actually, I just wrote uh, a video for my channel that's coming out next week. That's just all about like, we need to define good and bad market, right? Like good market 
is good if you already own real estate. We have to talk about these things. It's not good if you don't own real estate. A good market is bad if you don't own real estate. So you have to define exactly what it is you're trying to do in real estate before you can even consider if you should be doing something in real estate. You shouldn't just rely on someone saying, oh, this market is crazy good, and now I want in too, right? That makes no sense. It's almost like if you lived on the beach and you looked out the window and said, man, that's a bad ocean, <laughs> right? This is a bad ocean. What a shit ocean. It's salty. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's got all these problems. There's crabs in there. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is the ocean is just the ocean. And if there's waves, then maybe it's better for surfing. And if there's wind, you should sail, right? But when we take a look at real estate, we're like, oh, up markets are good. Down markets are bad. Do you know that we psychologically look at maps that way and overvalue northern northern environments and undervalue southern environments? Like we just think that we read from left to right and the world happens from top down. But the truth of the matter is, is that when the market is like it is right now, they call it a buyer's market. And that's because buyers, this is for you. You're buying in when the market is not accelerating away from you. And when I'm talking about buyers, I'm not talking about first time buyers alone. The largest group of acting in real estate already owns real estate. And if you are buying more than you are selling, I got a secret for you. You're a buyer. Okay. And if you're selling more than you're buying, you're a seller. If you are a downsizer, get to the market. Your window is closing. Hmm. Right? Because you are selling more than you are buying. Therefore, you are a seller. And if you were a buyer, when you take a look at what's happening, you have to measure that financial impact of the money. Like people that don't have a lot of money think that interest rates are renting money. Whereas people that have a lot of money, they see interest rates as purchasing money. And they will say things like, oh, no, that money's too expensive. I'm not going to do that right now because that money would cost too much. And that's the same thing we need to take a look at is measure it out all together and then say, okay, is this something that will achieve my goals for the resources that I have? Then this market is for you. And uh, buyers, like, I want you to think about when you're upsizing. Let's say that you own a million dollar house and the market has moved down a staggering 20%. You just took a beating for 200 grand, right? But let's say that you're going to buy a $1.5 million house when you upgrade. Didn't the market give that house a larger beating? Didn't that yep. one at 20% just take $300,000 off that house and $200,000 off yours? So by acting now and moving up market, you just made $100,000 in market timing? But we need that a better... That is good family a, business. Here, here's the issue that I'm running into, because that is the majority of my clients right now, is people that are moving from you know the townhouse to the detached house or whatever, and they're doing great. But then they get caught in the trap of, well, if I just move in with mom and wait just a little bit longer, I'll get an even better deal, right? So it is always a situation we put ourselves in to always think that there are better options, right? And I wish more people would yeah. just go, you know what, I'm in a better position than I would have been previously, so I should act now because there are, I don't know if you're experiencing, well, I know Tom's experiencing this right now. There are some times in the market where you're like, wait a minute, did it just pick up? Right? Like I know we're Tom, we were, Our market we were just talking- yeah, Tom was uh, liking a house the other day, and what did it go for? How many hundreds of thousands over asking in this crap market, Tom? Yeah, well, yeah. In in a terrible market, uh, this house went three hundred fifty thousand dollars over asking. Okay, wait a second. Can we rephrase here? Mm-hmm. 
in a buyer's market. Yeah. <laughs> a seller achieved way over list price, which is which is bucking the curve. Right? Yeah. yeah. Because it's like, that's the thing is, is that we need to welcome those people that are considering buying because this is a buyer's market, not a shit market. The reason that we say a seller's market is a good market is because the majority of our clients own real estate. And when they do better, they actually get more options. But man, if they're jumping from that $1.1 million house to 1.5 and the market's going up, that jump is bigger. That jump is wider. Yep. Okay. That house is outrunning you, the one that's up market. Whereas when the market's going down, it's actually going to your favor. So more people understanding that and uh, approaching this because the market will bump up. Like what we're seeing in Edmonton right now is our condo market was awful, right? Mm -hmm. Like have you guys ever seen 11 months of inventory? Oh, yeah. Not really for me, no. We we rarely go over five and a half ever. Yeah, we saw like 11 months of inventory in some neighborhoods in our market. Uh, in condos for a sustained period of time. So Taylor, for a consumer listening, that means one out of every 11 condos listed actually sells every month. Uh, Yeah. If there was 11 condos listed, one would sell every month. Right. And so then you have 10 people that are fighting to try to get that next buyer by lowering their prices. And so we saw this like brutal market. And then we now are, we're saying that it's on Dethaw. Like, it's almost like when you took it out of your deep freeze and put it on the kitchen counter like chicken, that it was just rock solid and and really locked up. And now we're seeing a situation where I just saw a uh, condo complex the other day that had 80% of its listings sell in the last year. And that's staggering to me because it would have been normal to see 35% three years ago. And even through pandemic, like the least established people are always the most affected by negative impacts. And when your condo market suffers, those people don't sell. So they don't move up market to buy. So you lose all your, all your verticals. Do you think the buyers of that specific condo building in the last year were mostly investors or do you think it was end users? I know that's a hard question, but just curious of your thoughts. Yeah, I'm going to say that there's lots of investors here right now. Like here, we're at this like, uh, you, uh, so Steve, you were talking about when buyers are looking to s- uh, see the bottom. The thing that they need to know is that they'll only ever see the bottom in the rearview mirror. That's the yes. only place that it's visible. 100%. Yep. So the so right now, there's a bunch of investors that are coming here saying like, holy shit, Edmonton hasn't raised their rates yet. Right? Like mm-hmm. their rents haven't gone up. But interest rates have, and those are normally correlated, right? So that means if you buy something here, you can start raising the rents like right out of the gate. Most of the stuff for sale hasn't had the rents changed in a while. That's like people wanting to get out. And so stepping into those rentals immediately, you can start to look for cash flow. And we're in this poised position where even though the the North America is kind of set to move downward, it's pooling into the most affordable areas. So Edmonton is actually looking at the other side and Calgary is already experiencing it. Like Taylor, it's tough to get a condo in Calgary right now. You know what's crazy for me? I was getting random texts from Calgary developers and Calgary realtors that I don't know how they got my number. Like literally, literally almost harassing me. Like it was so frequent being like, Tom, this project, send your clients to Calgary. I'm like, when I saw that, I was like, oh, maybe there's a little bit of a bubble here going on in that market of Calgary because why are they calling me directly? They just want my Toronto people. 
Well, they're calling you because they're already seeing Toronto people and you're yeah. a recognized Toronto person. Yeah, maybe. So like the so there's many realtors here including including our team that has a strategy right now to connect to play all the places where net migration are coming from. Yeah. Well, right? makes sense. The uh yeah, but they just don't understand that your Edmonton referrals come to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. Um, we're, we just hit just about the hour mark. So I want to ask you two sure. final questions. Um, before you became a highly producing real estate agent and team leader and took over the Edmonton market, you were in the mortgage side of the business. Okay. You funded mortgages. Mm -hmm. You were a mortgage broker at a very, very high level. I want to ask that Taylor a question that, that mine Taylor a question. Are you worried right now about what's happening with the mortgages? Do you think that we're in for more rate hikes and it's going to become a tough situation for a lot of people for making payments? Yes, I'm worried about um, uh, there being more rate, rate hikes. No, I'm not worried about us. Okay. And I'm not talking about us as realtors. I'm talking about us as the public. So um, I funded somewhere in the neighborhood of $150 million in mortgages over eight years. So the, uh, and during that period, like I wrapped up shop at like uh, December, 2012, and at that point, interest rates were in the fours. Okay. They're actually where they are now. Mm. And uh, earlier in my career, like if you, when I started in uh, 2005, 2006, I actually lent money over 6%. You know what? Nobody died. The uh, we'll like just it was... prices will just adjust to where the rates are at, right? Yeah, like everybody's talking about 1983 with hyperinflation, but like it, that's because it's the only recognized like point that they can kind of tie their fear to. And mm. uh, really, when you take a look at what's happening now that wasn't happening then, there's a whole bunch of things that are larger. Uh, so I do uh, look into a lot of things related to short-term and long-term debt cycles. And the world's in turmoil right now, mostly to do with long-term debt cycles. So like the US has been the reserve currency for a long time. And I know I'm going pretty high level on this right now, but uh, the likelihood that the, that the US is going to maintain being the reserve currency is less likely. Before then it was the British pound before them. Like it goes all the way back to the time of the Romans, right? And these are normally hundred year cycles that coordinate with a whole bunch of world conflict. Uh, Ray Dalio has a whole series of YouTube videos on this. Mm -hmm. So when you take a look at what we need right now is more money back in the system and out loaned, not loaned out in credit. And that happens through raising interest rates that make people more productive. And geez, do we ever need to be more productive for the love of God? If one more person says quiet quitting, I'm going to show them yeah, pictures 100%. of Albertans working. These are yeah. the people that are going to take their job. We're the hardest working. I'm not going to drop F-bombs here, but the, uh, we're the, like, the, there, there's nothing like it. We're going to take your jobs, you guys. Like the, I'm taking, uh, you guys that are I'm just... taking a little bit of a different position than you on that, Taylor, because I know like watching those videos about, you know, the new world order, not exactly what well titled for everybody that's, <laughs> you know, trying the, everybody thinks it's like something out of Star Wars. Um, the new world order, as far as financial financials go, it's like, are we going to switch to Chinese currency? I don't think we are. I don't think mm -hmm. the majority of the world is okay having, uh, the ccp or whatever the heck they're called chinese communist party is that it i don't think they're really stoked about having those guys having say over the world financial situation so i don't know that we're going to get there at least not yet that's normally why there's conflict like let's say that uh, for some reason the china is the most likely right 
well, we see right now the U.S. saying like, hey, if you guys mess with Taiwan anymore, we're going to fight you. That's what that fight's about, is it is likely to be China, but nobody wants that to happen. Yeah. So in a situation where there's war and their economy is crippled afterwards, well, then in that situation, that's like how the world solves the problem. Like a lot of people are like, oh, man, this is so crazy. Well, reality check. We didn't drop from civility. We rose from savagery. This is like like everything, everything related to like how we live now is rooted in violence. It's just like how it has always been. All right. I'm going to change the topic for my last question. Of all the Formula One drivers, why <laughs> Max Verstappen? That flat-brimmed hat, Bond-looking villain winning every race now. Why, why are we cheering for Max? And and by the way, I'm coming from this as a absolute Formula One noob that, that like many people in my generation watched a Netflix show and then now we pretend that we understand what's going on where Taylor comes from actually being a fan for a long time. So why, why Verstappen? Why are we cheering for Verstappen? Oh, he's such a good example of... Um of driving like so like regardless of anything that happens off the track and like what team you support uh when you actually take a look at what makes uh drivers like the legends okay uh and uh, what i'm talking about is like senna and schumacher and like the ones that we all know Mm -hmm. um it's the ability to take the car past the edge of control and recover so when they talk about like the fact that nobody else can drive the second car for uh, for Red Bull, they talk about it being a very pointy car, which means it's incredibly unstable and pointy cars are so fast. There's no faster way than once you're over that ragged edge of control, right? And so if you have the finesse and the reflexes to be able to operate that in a 300 kilometer environment where you have the same type of G's that are on jet fighters, that's like a, it, it's just something that's like a true beauty. Like for me, I have this weird duality where I see companies as teams of humans and computers working together to achieve goals. And in Formula One, when you take a look at us essentially riding a horse at some level, right? Taking this machine to a level which like what Formula One means is a formula of rules that is the fastest way to get around any circuit. It's Formula One. It's not a fuel. It's a rule set. And they do it way better than everybody else. They're incredible race cars, and Max is the best of all of them because even the craziest fast machine, he can recover from past the edge so that it stays on track. You know what? That's a very, very good way to put it. I uh, have not thought about it that way. That's very interesting. And I think the reality is like Max is going to win everything for the next five years unless someone comes in because – uh, is if Red Bull keeps doing what they're doing, it's like, it's it's more of a surprise when he doesn't win a race at this point. Steve, Which, you were gonna say? I was gonna say I have a thought to kind of wrap this up. I think because Tom always asked me my final thoughts, and you just gave me a thought. Um, you you finally but, had one, and I'm gonna tie this back into real estate. Finally, had one that made it to my mouth. <laughs> um, I'm gonna tie this back into real estate. I can drive a car. Uh, I must be just as good as those guys. And uh, that's the same when I'm selling my house. So who needs a realtor, right? <laughs> that's true. That is... <laughs> is like, I have a mouth. I can do sales, yeah. you know? <laughs> totally. Totally. I can do that. That's no big deal. <laughs> yep. The, ar- the armchair got... critics. To- totally side note. I got a, uh, I had the client that um, uh, got licensed 
and he sent me a text the other day going, I have so much more respect for you now. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite. Uh, well, like the meme. truth is, is to most people, their realtor is just somebody they met at a barbecue. Like since they didn't interview them, they don't yeah. even know what they do. I saw this meme that's been going around. It's like, if you want to see what it's like to be a real estate agent, you're just going to get text after text after text for about 16 hours until you start crying. <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. And sometimes that's a little bit about what it is, like the yeah. volume of people that uh, volume of contact that comes in and the relationships you need to keep. But I'll uh, the I would say that the best meme that I saw recently was real estate uh, agents. The experience of being them is uh, finding out one of your uh, or sorry, is becoming friends with your clients and then unfriending them if they ever sell with someone else. <laughs> basically <laughs> basically dead to me. it's dead so to weird me. but that's all tied in the same thing like as much as the data is important and i subscribe to it a lot of this is how you feel yep. and i'm not talking your results are going to be based on how you feel but take a look at like what will actually contribute to your enjoyment whether you're a realtor or whether you're someone who is looking to make a change in real estate and uh, that's going to be like the that'll be the core, the, the core pillar that will allow you to do enough research. If you have enough interest in this to do it well, yeah, uh, that's the thing that I would really like people to take away. Taylor, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming on and joining us. And I would love to have you back uh, if you will agree to it in the future, because I think we still have a lot more to talk about. Um, where can people find you online? What's the best place to go to learn about Hacking Co. and, and everything that you're doing in Edmonton? Yeah, my real estate team is Hacking Company at Remax River City. So you can look us up at Hacking Co. And then for myself, probably Instagram would be a good place to go. It's uh, Taylor the Hack. And uh, you can find me there. I'm pretty easy to get in touch with. Amazing. Well, thank you for listening and watching. And uh, because I do this every episode and Steve laughs at me, if you've made it this far in, please click the like button. Please subscribe to the oh. channel. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Maybe maybe one day I'll remember to say it at the beginning of a show. But uh, we appreciate Never. all of you listening and watching because the amount of people that have come up to me and thanked me for, for list, like our viewers is has been like really really cool and uh just the volume of downloads we're getting just on the audio side and the youtube views like i just want to thank everybody for for showing up here every week and tom doesn't need it but steve's self-esteem is affected by every five-star review okay oh so 100%. for those people that would like him to be less hard on himself uh that's what you need to hit is five stop stars. giving us those one star we have one stars or five stars that's it there's nothing in the middle nobody <laughs> kind of likes us or or whatever so that's the way you want to be, man. All or nothing. Yeah, totally. If you're a one yeah, star, you go. go find your people. And you five awesome. star folks fit in. Thanks for listening <laughs> to another episode. Uh, on behalf of Taylor, Steve, I will do my signature sign off. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>